0: Now I slowly understanding and this is where how you can apply gamification and behavioral design to classic product design uh, jobs automatically because it's a switch in the mindset, you just not think, okay, I'm creating a new UX, I am creating a new behavior for an employee.
1: And if you are building products like that, you will come up with other ideas. Hi everyone, welcome to Design Drives, where we explore why, how and what design and designers are driving forward. The mission is to interview the most forward-thinking designers and innovative creators on the planet to inspire and help you to reach your full creative potential and to make a positive impact in the world. In the episode, I chat with Fabrice Pullman, behavioral designer and CIO of Hello Design. During the episode, he shares how he is now implementing these principles to any kind of project and how we can use it in order to drive business goals and actually get stakeholders motivated to use gamification in order to drive business KPIs. Further, we dig into specific projects where you actually had the chance to use gamification by making health content accessible to the Generation C. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, I'm here with Fabrice Perman. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me.
0: Thank you so much, Sebastian, uh, that I am able to be part of the Design Drives podcast.
1: Yeah, really looking forward to the chat with you. I mean, we have been uh, in a conversation for for quite a while chatting about um, design, about the value of design, even on your Instagram. Even I was invited once, uh, which I really enjoyed. And I think uh, really looking forward to learn about gamification in this episode with you about designing games with purpose. Also, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your experience on just being an entrepreneur as well, you know, uh, starting a design agency, building this up, what are like common challenges people face or uh, things people can learn from. And yeah, we're looking forward to that. I think what would be really great for the audience though, if you could just give them a bit more context about yourself, a little bit about your journey and How did it all happen for you going into design in the first place?
0: Okay, um, so let me quickly start what I'm studying, and then I'm jump over to the first internship and how I end up in the situation I am today. So, I started this whole design thing. I think uh, even before I started studying, I, I was in a band, and there was one person who had to design the shirts and, and the cover for, for the EP, and that was me. And I was like, okay, maybe I can make a living out of this whole whole design thing. And then I started studying communication design at university and coming more from a graphic design background and then switched over to the brand design world and understand this a little bit more. And then, um, yeah, the whole digital thing um, popped up and people starting building fancy website and the first applications and the first SaaS products. And I was like, okay, that's that's pretty interesting too. So from there, I um, yeah, became a freelancer while I was studying, starting getting hired by the first uh, agencies here in, here in Germany and learning a little bit more about the whole digital world. And then I made a little switch because I thought, okay, there's more than the digital world. And I um, got into um, exhibition design as well and um, Mm. got this um, perspective to my general design uh, mind. And after this whole bachelor thing, I started um, studying math and design management management at Hochschule Rhein-Main. And this was because I thought, okay, I am not there yet. I think there is more outside this little design bubble that I have to learn. And I wanted to learn more about business, more about Mm -hmm. startups and growing a business in general. And this was the reason that I started this master as well. During my master, I found out about this whole workshop world and the whole design sprint world. And I thought, okay, that's very interesting too. And then I got introduced into design thinking as well. And so after a while, all the parts come together, and I think this, yeah, created the 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 design persona I am today. So a little bit of graphic design background, uh, coming from a digital world, learning about UI and UX, and now um, combining this whole thing with workshops and a little bit of business knowledge. I would say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, super interesting. What was the the common drive, or what are some of the things that really drive you as a designer? What what keeps you motivated to going into these different directions?
0: Yeah. So I think the whole, it it all comes
1: to curiosity. So I I am
0: simply a very, very curious person and I I simply love to create things, especially very impulsive. So when VR um, came up the first time or the the second time after the big hype in the 80s and 90s, I was like, okay, I want to learn Unity. I want to test this out. And jumping from from this uh, whole, I would say, workshop path, I got into the VR world and I wanted to learn Unity. I, I got to the, I would say, what was the Google university things they have these micro, um, diplomas and I made it and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I have to learn. We are. And I think it's, it, it's all about curiosity. And today I'm, we talked about before a little bit about the
1: whole metaverse thing and how UX and the metaverse will work. I think it's, it's all about curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been, um, I think just coming back from web summit, right?
0: Yeah, and exactly. I think
1: probably um, ties into that. So I think the general curiosity of of new te- technologies and new capabilities, right? We can have as designers and things that, where we can contribute, right? Anything specifically that kind of excites you? Uh, looking forward, also maybe coming coming back from Web Summit, refresh inspiration on that. The old graphic designer inside me is very uh, interested about the the whole NFT
0: thing. So enable mm-hmm. artists with crypto technologies, yeah, to to. To be more independent from whatever platforms you name it, and I think what's very interesting that the the whole um, sustainability business world or the, or the topic in general comes into the tech world more and more, and um, I think these these two worlds will merge uh, together in the next couple of years um, more and more and more. There were a lot of startups at the at the Web Summit that have. Sustainable technologies, sustainable SaaS products, trying to use tech
1: to prevent climate change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really, I think, where I think designers can try to contribute to different solutions, and participate in the change. So that uh, totally makes sense. I mean, if you think about all of these additional opportunities that come up uh, for designers, I think there's really opportunity for designers to also participate and contribute to these problems, like mentioned. Are there any projects that you had in the past where you really had the feeling through your skill set as a designer, you could really drive positive change, any kind of projects that that come into mind where you really had the feeling, well, you know, um, we were really able to create a positive impact to the work that we are doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think there are two kinds of project where I think the design drives, I, I still really love the the, the term of, of you you invented here, right? um, With this whole podcast thing and the conference. Anyway, so the one kind of the projects are all um, kind of design sprint and workshop projects because I work together with my colleagues a lot about um with agile transformation projects. And you always have to talk about what is our vision, how we came up with the new strategy, and mm-hmm. if you have this design mindset working very tangible and working by creating things and building mm-hmm. prototypes mm-hmm. and bringing this whole mindset into the i would say the more corporate and strategy and excel spreadsheet world it really really helps people getting from a from a discussion to something very tangible and something really really real a real product mm-hmm. a real i don't know experience whatever and I, I saw this a lot, especially when it comes to yeah, changing um, culture, making an agile transformation. This always helps if you have a design background. And the other projects where I think I have a very big impact I can talk about is, I think we will talk about this later on when we talk about the game and gamification is the, the game Nebulous that I created with um, health scientists, where we try to combine the, the world of science with, with the world of design. So they have evidence for, for a particular uh, topic. And I have the whole UX background and we are merging this together and come up with this amazing um, idea for the game. And beside Nebulas, I, I really love to work together with WinCopter, one of German's uh, sexy um, drone startups, I would say. Um, they, they, they got a lot of funding and they, they are very cool. And... Uh, I am. I am not allowed to talk about very specific what I'm doing there. But even with their purpose, they are doing a lot for um, third world countries and flying medicine from one um, um, position to another position where the infrastructure is not very well. And they are using drones for that. And I am, yeah, participating in this project as well as a UX designer. And you can have a very big impact with the skill set you have as a designer on on this side as well.
1: Mm-hmm. in which kind of parts of the world are, are they using these drones southeast asia and africa and
0: you can you can look it up at their website and it's it's very very interesting and they become especially famous with these kinds of works and projects at the beginning
1: mm-hmm. yeah so interesting I, I saw similar projects in africa mm. actually uh, where they were using also drones for your medical delivering medical supplies between hospitals or having supply centers for certain medical um supplies basically and then um, giving this to certain locations very quickly and if, for them it's the fastest way because you can go straight to where you want to go and they don't have skyscrapers in between that would block um yeah. sort of the um the road or any kind of legal uh, issues that you would run into with, when creating such an infrastructure so they can really yeah. I think innovate there Absolutely which I think is a sort of a topic on its own which I always find very <laughs> interesting it's like um, um, yeah, like how much more space of innovation you get if you, you know, take away constraints or change them. So, yeah, super interesting. Talking about the game, maybe uh, for a second, because I know that you have a lot of experience working with games and driving behavior change through that or driving new habits. I think we were once talking about. Can you talk more about that game that um, you were designing and maybe some of the learnings and wins and, and fails maybe you had along the process? I think that's going to be interesting. Absolutely. So this whole project started
0: when uh, Professor Dr. Daraczynski, a, a tricky name for everybody that speaks English, right, <laughs> came to me and said, hey, Fabrice, you are your ex-designer. We have this project in mind um, and we have evidence about that especially teenagers are not very well in uh, finding and applying health-related informations. And this causes a lot of Mental diseases, not in a very dramatical way. So, not everybody of these teenagers already has something like a depression or something, but they're showing the first signs of it. Mm-hmm. And um, they they have evidence about that. This problem um, roots in 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 the in the in the ability or not ability to find um, health related informations. What I mean by that is, think you are a twelve year old girl or a twelve year old boy. And you're struggling with something, you have no idea how to who you should talk to, if you are shy to talk to your parents or friends or whatever. And you have no idea where you can look up informations, how to cure yourself a little bit. And especially when it comes to uh, the web, there are millions of informations out there. Nothing is very trustful, trustworthy. Yes, you can check out check out the best. Instagram psychologist, but I didn't recommend this. And I think the most teenagers understand that this is not the best source of truth and or the best source of knowledge. And even if you have, I would say, locations or institutions in your town, they don't connect very well with the teenagers. And the problem over there is that their, I would say, information material or the way they communicate is not, I would say, state of the art how teenagers communicate with each mm-hmm. other. So mm-hmm. think about you are having something like Pro Familia. They are uh, a consultancy for um, families. So if you have problems with, with your family, you can go over there and they're handing out flyers uh, at the doctor and they are very well, very bad designed. And I don't think that this is how teenagers want to communicate. And coming back to the game, Kevin came up with this idea, hey, maybe we can create a user experience with this game where teenagers are more likely to connect with these local institutions to understand, hey, I can go there if I have a problem. And this is the whole start of, of this project.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's a content problem, a communication issue, right? Yeah. Um, and I think one of the... Difficult I assume, is that you you have to create this content pre-made, right? So you have to kind of, and there's a lot of content, right? like yeah. you also need to make it accessible for different types of users, right? So you have the people that would probably prefer like written content. Yes. And then you have maybe the Gen Z yeah. type of users, they would probably prefer some kind of other content, but it also depends on the situation, maybe a little bit. So any kind of learnings uh, in terms of the, um, the design process there also to validate some of the ideas that you may had in the in the project because maybe you come up with certain ideas, but how do you validate if they actually would adapt better than the maybe existing ones? Absolutely. We had a lot of
0: amazing fails, I, w- I would say, but a lot of amazing learnings too. So when we started um, designing the game, so to make it clear right here, it's it's a mobile application and it's, lo- it's a location-based game. So imagine it like something like Pokemon Go. So you have a predefined path you have to experience in your city. And while you are experiencing this path, you are making stop at the specific locations where you can learn about the um, health-related informations. And at these locations, you can collect um, QR codes. You scan the QR codes and then you get voice messages for the whole story, for the whole location-based game. And this is how you can... yeah bring information to teenagers with with, with gamification. And when we started at the beginning, it was clear that the first user testing or the first MVP will be tested in schools. So we only have um, to make this adaptable or usable for teenagers between uh, 11 and 13 years old. And there will be a, a school with around about 100, 200 students that will test this app uh, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we moved on and built the first prototype, the classic uh, process, a little bit of user research, a little bit of Figma design, a little bit of user interface design. Boom, you have your prototype. And then we thought, okay, maybe it's a good idea to get go into, into the lab and and try how um, teenagers will interact with the application. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky that, yeah, Kevin is a professor at a university and we can go to the usability lab. And I was super excited about it because I never tested an application in a big usability lab before. And I thought that's a very good idea. And I built up the whole setting at the the usability testing day and the teenagers are coming in separately. The the whole situation was already a little bit tricky because it was still or it is still COVID. Everybody has to wear the mask and you have to take care of the distance and other things. And then I realized, okay, 12-year-old kids are very insecure and they are not very don't have a lot of self-confidence. And they saw this whole test situation as a test. Mm -hmm. Even if you are telling them Mm -hmm. we are not testing you, we are testing the application and all the things. And they Mm -hmm. got, they got, not got scary, but super excited. And it simply was a tricky situation to test this, um, an application in usability lab, where you record the voice, where you record the eyes, where you record everything with youth uh, or with teenagers. Um, because they are simply not uh, not made for it. But the good thing is that we are learned that they understand the story. They are understand the, I would say, general usability patterns we created for the game. And I had a little chat with them uh, after that. And um, I had a good feeling what we have to change and what was already um, good at the application. Beside this, this whole tricky test situation, we learned and another good thing uh, that because it is a location-based game, you only are just can minimal test a location-based experience inside a lab where you're not moving from A to B. And this was very tricky. And I underestimated this a little bit, how smooth the um, prototype um, will be tested by the, by the teenagers. And this, I think these are the two big learnings b- beside many others. Um, but, but first of all, these two are very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a tricky thing with creating prototypes sometimes. Like how much yeah. data do you have for the prototype, right? Because in a prototype, often you have to build it. Well, you have to customize it kind of for the solution because it's very difficult depending on what tool you use to plug in like real-time data and, yeah. and kind of conceptualize it. I always find that, um, you know, challenging when creating prototypes. So the same goes for if you create like AI-based prototypes, you have to do tools like Wizard of Oz or, yeah. you know, um, do something that direction because you're not going to... It's like how much do you going to lean into the actual development? Yeah. Uh, in order to validate uh, and then it's always the question okay like is it worth it like how unsure how much of is it an assumption whereas it's like something we are more confident about right yeah. maybe another thing that's probably interesting there's you had tested this in this one scenario uh, and I mean, you also, I think you have been reading the book from uh, Matt Wallot uh, uh, around like habits, I think. Yeah. And I mean, like one of the things that you, I guess, like wanted to create is sort of positive behavior outcomes, right? I think you had probably certain goals uh, with the game, right? Um, yeah. About like how people are going to adapt it. I'm not so sure, were you able in the project also to look into the long-term behaviors that would come from such an application or any kind of learning because it's become challenging with a project because how far can you prototype towards that, right? You yeah. cannot give them the Figma prototype if you don't sure. have real data and say so like, use it for a week, tell me how it worked. Yeah. yeah. So any kind of learning, how much you can look into the long-term behavior outcomes of your application, even though maybe the project itself is not set up for them.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So actually you have to um check out two kind or two different kinds of behavior change, right? The first kind of behavior change you want to achieve is that are these teenagers, yeah, use the app how do you want them uh, to use it. So that's that's the first thing. And you can test this with all the UX and usability things. And that's actually the, the easy the easy part, I would say. No, right? If you're now the MVP is ready. Uh, we already tested it, uh, the whole coded thing um, and the usability patterns and the whole UX works fine. I'm happy with that. But the second, uh, the actually interesting um, behavior change you want to measure is first, the teenagers look up their local um, health institutes and they don't do this right now. Uh, they are checking the health institutes after they're um, using this application. And currently I can Actually, I can't tell if this is the case because we are currently measuring this because we are just had a group of 20 teenagers at the, the very first testing. I Next week, there will be tested with 60 uh, teenagers and we will move on at least for a half year collecting data at schools while they're out playing the game. And um, I am happy that I'm working together with scientists and they came up with a very good concept for um, the study, how they measure this behavior change. Maybe we could have a chat in a half year where I can tell you exactly if the behavior change teenagers are um, using the local health institution uh
1: yes or not. Uh, and we are simply have to measure this afterwards. Um, yeah, so you have to you have just look at the performance, basically look into the the KPIs that you have to find. If exactly. When you talk about the scientific process, is there anything you can share from, because you were saying that you're working with science, they they, they have certain ideas in terms of like yeah. how you could maybe foresee this, right? I mean, like you can never really foresee it, but yeah. any kind of learnings on, on, on that in terms of like, for example, um, to make more concrete, like a certain question that you would ask to sort of kind of look into that, uh, long-term outcome any kind of learnings maybe in terms of like how you have to phrase a question yeah. maybe or kind of use that interview in its limited capability to kind of nudge and explore this territory which is obviously a guess right but you, you can't really know the kpi is gonna say gonna actually it, like you're saying right but any any kind of learnings, like how you have to set up the interview to kind of look into that long-term behavior so any kind of questions you were asking there
0: yeah, I think uh, there are also two uh, perspectives on, on on this whole uh, whole thing. So, w- when it comes to the, the whole behavior thing, I already tried to build uh, as a behavioral designer as much as behavioral design things into the game uh, as possible. Right? Mm-hmm. If if you are um, applying the, the the classic hook model by Neil. Eyal, um, with the, with the trigger things and um, the variable rewards and how you um, yeah build a habit forming product, you can apply this to uh, the whole game and um, from 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 the um, the first experience on. So I hope that um, the the teenagers are coming to this app um, more and more and more often um, to get connected to these locations, have uh, health uh, information location. Um, locations in the area as often as possible. When it comes to measuring this, the success of the application, first of all, um, we're implementing a form inside the application where the users can simply fill out a couple of questions. And I am not 100% sure what these questions will be. There will be more or less direct, very direct. Um, do you know about this? Uh, did, you men- uh, did you recognize blah, blah, blah? Um, could you... I don't know, tell where you should go when you have this or that problem. And with this form, um, Kevin and, and his whole team of scientists will come up and they implement this into the application. And what we also do is we will send every participant of the game um, this form via a notification, push notification afterwards as well. So, um, and beside this whole form, um, this this measuring of, of how um, the teenagers are Learning with, with the game. Um, I definitely would take a couple focus groups, a couple teenagers uh, after the half year, and interviewing them pretty free and, and with a free conversation and understanding how they experience their environment. And, um, I am not, not a big fan of, of, um, or I, maybe, maybe because I'm just, just a designer and not a scientist and it's more an empathetic thing to understand how, how is this human uh, right next to me, uh, reacting to my questions. I'm uh, not, a, not a very scientific way to to make an interview actually, but, um, I think with, with, uh, with a very empathetic mindset, you can understand, are they able to repeat what you're trying, um. To tell them with the with the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes totally sense. And I, I mean, in the I mean, you have you mentioned the book as well about like creating hooks, right? Yeah. And very often, I think the, the methods of gamification are sometimes used for uh, for business driven outcomes as well, right? I think this is sort of like what's driving the industry probably most, sure. right? In your case, actually, you were actually using gamification um, for. Uh, for something very, really, not so much a business goal, <laughs> uh, but actually sort of a human behavior goal, right? You wanted to create, um, you know, and it's sort of like, I mean, it's it's not really a business that you have been working on. It's like um, scientific content around health, right? Yeah. So you we, we want to make that more accessible. So it's actually a very... Um, yeah, positive human behavior outcome, um, uh, and maybe different also to most of the behavior design projects. I think that when people talk about behavior design, it's also there's an overlap of growth design as well, or um, any kind of learnings. What most of the behavior design projects are about, and from from your experience, are they mostly more driven around the the, um, the business uh, or um, how much of these projects, uh, are also maybe, uh, considering maybe positive human outcomes, which is, I think in best case, it goes together. <laughs> it's yeah, the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So business KPIs overlays with the human KPIs, but any kind of, uh, thoughts on that topic.
0: First of all, with, with the nebulous game, it's very hard, um, to apply all the habit forming things because it's a once, uh, in a lifetime experience. So um, you are kind of building a habit around the application, and that's very hard to applying this whole behavior change magic you can do. But I always try, and I am lucky that the most of the projects I am working on uh, are more about uh, a positive um, behavior change, um, and on for, for from a human perspective and not from a business perspective. And um, but I think that the most applications are using it us uh, to drive business goals. I don't know, reducing churn, um, optimizing for when it comes to landing pages, optimizing conversation rate and conversion rates, and yeah, I don't know, making uh, the whole UX a little bit more addictive and all the things. I think a lot of um, companies are using this for, for, for this for this reason, but there are especially when when it comes to um the whole uh, wing copter thing that i'm working on you are working with with pilots and you have to understand their behavior and um you have to be very careful what kind of behavior you are triggering with uh your the interface you are building because they if they're making the mistake the drone will go down and destroy something and if you can understand their behavior as good as possible and working with a good user interface with a good UX against it. Yeah. But, but like I said, I am lucky that I'm working a lot for, for um behavioral design in the human perspective and not with the driving business outcomes that much.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what you mentioned about the helicopter, because I think there, I think as a designer, you really are on a little bit the sideline there like uh, as often like unknown about the actual process and kind of coming yeah. into a project kind of learning on the go and then just working like you said uh with the UX towards um supporting that um and i guess um, with the helicopter example also thinking about yeah like what I, what's the visual hierarchy on the screen if the user uh, comes into this situation do we want to prompt this button or rather the other button uh, what do we make primary and secondary and all of these different questions i think it's easier in the design process if you are uh, could somehow say that you are the user yourself uh, but if you're really relying on an expert opinion for the whole floor that i think is also always interesting in a design process because then you really have to work with someone and yeah. and, and run them through the whole experience and Yep. validating everything because it's very difficult to call the shots yourself, which is easy for, for, for sort of like straightforward things. Absolutely. Um, where you can imagine yourself, but very difficult for experts. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Case.
0: And I think the, the, the whole project uh, with WingCopter teaches me this so, so hard because as a UX designer and you are not an expert in aerodynamics or aircrafts and all, all these things, You can't do anything without the experts. You have to set up a very collaborative, co-creative working environment. Otherwise, you will not come to a very good product at the end of of this whole thing. If you, as an, I don't know, as a designer, you can set up any kind of shoe uh, or fashion uh, shop in in the world because they have the same principles all over the world. And you are kind of the same persona building this, uh, this thing. Um, this is an absolutely different different thing when it comes to yeah building very specific products like driving drones.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of the fun as a designer. Yes. Um, that um, well, I think we are kind of looped into or uh, um, we get into projects where we're really not the experts. And we are like the person that has the least knowledge in the room, uh, probably around the topic, and uh, then really have to kind of learn. I think that's what I think is so exciting as it is, and you constantly have to kind of you go into new topics and you learn so much. Absolutely, Uh, specifically as a design consultant, like in your case, you you really tap into new industries and every project is like a new learning opportunity, right? Uh, Absolutely, Uh, and this is
0: this comes back to the curiosity thing that I answered at the beginning, right? So it's all about curiosity. If you are not curious about the business of your um, clients, you, you have a problem. So, um, and it will become more and more complex. So the most shops and the most easy designs are already built. And now clients come with very complex problems and you have to be curious as a designer. And especially, uh, maybe we can talk about this later on a little bit, especially when it comes to building your own design business, right? If you are not able um, to apply to the situation of the client to, yeah, be open-minded and and, and and accept that you are not the smartest person in the room when it comes to the topic, um, you you definitely have a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was talking to the the vice president of, of IBM once also on designer. One of the, the quotes also from the episode was that he was saying, yeah, like no designer will ever create a great design, not caring about the problem they're solving. <laughs> so sure. it's impossible, sure. right? The greatness about, uh, or innovation is um, a great design, however you want to call it. It's just possible if you care and um, if you really dig deep. So Super interesting. You have been learning so much about behavior thinking, behavior design, gamification, then throughout your projects. If you now work on, say, a project where this is not so much part of the brief, yeah, where you maybe work on a project that has maybe different targets, how much did it? How much do you sort of automatically sort of think already about these things in the project, uh, about like the behavior of the um, the user, sort of? How much can you apply the principles of gamification, behavioral thinking to projects where this might be not the, the on the forefront of the brief? Because the reality is, I think, maybe with most of the briefs, also from the audience the designers are working in, um, that might be not on the forefront of the, the brief or the project. But I think there's a lot of things, yeah. um, meaning it hooks, meaning it all the methods that you maybe also come across in in your learnings that I think are very really are great to apply uh, on design processing in different fields 100% 100%
0: i can talk a little bit about another project what i'm working um, on currently um where we are i'm using the word disrupting the whole uh, real estate management uh, market currently a little bit because in germany the real estate market is all paperwork so old guys old people are stacking another piece of paper on each other and you you are having a messy chaos of of paperwork because yeah um managing uh, a very big uh, piece of real estate is very complicated. You have a lot of paperwork. And if you're making this whole thing digital, you are actually changing how the people will work in the future. You're not giving them a a piece of software and telling them, hey, yeah, this is going to be easier. No, you actually change the way how they behave on on a daily basis in their daily work life. And It took me a while to understand this, right? At the beginning, as a UX designer, you are super excited. Yeah, you look at this, I don't know, flow chart. You look at this fancy wireframe. No, no, no. It's all about thinking about, okay, when this person will come to work, what is the behavior that this person has to do to, I don't know, bring the most value to the company or make the job the easiest way or um, having the best experience? I don't know. You're making a task, but ding, you give, an, give them a little gift. And if they are collecting a couple of gifts or an, a couple of points at the end of the, the year, they get a bonus, uh, a bonus money from their company or something. So, uh, and now I slowly understanding, and this is where how you can apply gamification and behavioral design to classic product design uh, jobs automatically because it's a switch in the mindset. You are just not think, okay, I'm creating a new UX, I am creating a new behavior for an employee, and if you are building products like that, you will
1: come up with other ideas. yeah, that's so interesting, right i mean it's you, the question is very different right like um like you said, like if you think about it, the person that you'll be designing for, maybe that expert user working with the real estate company, if you're working with the real estate company uh or trying to sell the the product like also how you position the the maybe the s i s product right so yeah. But if you kind of connect it to the business goals, be, what is the behavior we want the employee actually to create for the business, right? And we want that this user is highly motivated about the work, really enjoys going to work, feels motivated about doing these things in the software, which is the actual work for the business he's he's yep. working on, and kind of align that with the goals of the business. I mean, also, the, the it's going to be easier to kind of sell the product. That's like another story. But it also creates a positive human impact. But it's about asking a little bit different questions. It, it absolutely is, and especially when you start a product design business, and
0: the, the people at the beginning, uh, the stakeholders, and, and the techie people inside the project, they don't understand why you are asking these questions in the first place. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I am using the the principle um, behavioral statements uh, at the beginning. So a lot of people are people mm-hmm. are familiar with uh, writing user stories. Um, As Mark, I wanted blah blah blah. Um, But writing behavioral statements is a little bit different. You are writing down at the beginning of building a feature, building a product. What is the behavior you want uh, the person to make? And at the beginning, everybody thinks, oh, that's super strange. I don't understand this, why we are doing this. But as soon as you are showing them what comes out of this behavioral uh, statement and showing them the first screen, they are, ah, okay, that's the reason we are building this like this. It's mm-hmm. it's very interesting, but in the first place, everybody is very skeptical about you know, starting with behavior instead of starting with Absolutely. classic UX or whatever.
1: Making the same experiences. So, um, yeah, it's like if you work with business, stakeholders, call us right, and then like maybe like we have an idea about like what the application we want to develop, right? Sometimes it could feel like why are you asking these questions, right? It it feels like people questioning the overall idea, but like it's 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 really comes down to creating the. The essence of like, why why are we doing what we're doing? And then like like you said, in the beginning, um, people are going to feel a little bit confused that you're asking these kind of a little bit stupid generic questions yeah. and they don't see like how it's going to influence your UX work, but yeah. it, it does because it's going to allow you to come up with ideas in the flow that going to nurture that actual business KPI that we're working towards Towards uh, that we're working towards right and if that's never transparent
0: totally and it's very interesting that the people from the product design world don't get it yet 100% slowly it will come and i think behavioral design will be big in the future hopefully but the people from the cultural transformation worlds and the the agile transformation digital transformation world they already understand this because we we have a lot of clients that are asking us, hey, how can we uh, change the culture in our company? We know that people don't behave the way how they should behave. And now, ah, okay, culture is connected to behavior change because the repetition Mm -hmm. of particular behavior becomes the, the, the culture. And it's funny that they already, they, they get it. And if you are coming up with uh, ideas, behavioral design ideas for yeah. changing behavior, they are instantly getting it and and, and playing with with this whole concept and, and the methodology very, very well. Nobody's skeptic because they understand that behavior is the actual drive over there uh, to, to change, to change something.
1: Uh, so true. So true. I mean, if you think about th- that behavior is driven by environments, right? Yeah. So um, you can see this if people join like a different environment, they start to adapt their behaviors. Yeah. Uh, Wherever if they go to a new country, join a new company, yeah. uh, going in, even going into a room and kind of like feeling what's the vibe in the room, yeah. people are always going to adjust their behavior. This is even true for, you know, applications. I mean, you just have the rectangle here that yeah. you kind of work on. But like everything in this rectangle, the brand identity, the way you kind of uh, have the conversation with the user, how you set up the interface, how it all ties together within a user's life, when, when do you uh, bring up a notification, all of these things, they really matter in terms of like how are people going to behave even within an application. And I think that's not often really well understood, right? I mean, if uh, maybe also some uh, many years ago, I think with people working, if people don't set up time in the project to really dig into that level, then you just get a functional you get a functional solution, but you will never create that much of an impact, right? Because you don't yep. consider all of these questions. Um, Absolutely. And when
0: you now understand the whole behavior thing as a designer, you actually understand, okay, what's the, the impact I am um, yeah creating with my design? So like you mentioned b- before, um, changing um, the um, environment, uh, changing people's behavior. So interior designers don't think about behavior change at the beginning. They are designing a, a beautiful uh, interior. But if you have an interior designer that knows behavioral science and behavioral economics, they, can, they really know why they are changing, uh, I don't know, this color to this or using this sofa and this sofa and, or this chair, whatever. It's very interesting. And this is where, yeah, design comes uh, together with, with, with science.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, totally agree what you said about like, interior design actually in fact i've been uh, in my design studies we have been doing some i've been digging into design history a little bit Mm -hmm. and one of the the things with great architects was um, specifically um, you know um, back in the days i mean people really know don't know about that how much they were thinking about behavior yeah so if you're looking at some of the masterpieces of architecture where people kind of looking at that surface outcome right they the the, the actual building, like the impressive building, etc. If you really dig into how they were designing such buildings, yeah, such masterpieces that uh, people know, right? How much they were thinking about how people entering the room, like what's the feeling you want to create when entering the room? Like how do we position the building so it catches the, the right light uh, at which time of the day because maybe this building is more for these kind of events so we want to have that light setting at the beginning of the day. So they really were considering all environmental aspects towards the human behavior that actually creates, influences the perceptions and like the behavior that happens in the building, right? And um, that's so interesting. I mean, architecture, like the overlap of architecture and behavior, sort of like there could be another episode, (laughs) Uh, maybe on its own, super interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: And bringing, bringing quickly uh, for one sentence back the, the, the whole game uh, that I created um, with um, with Kevin and, and the health scientists, this is the reason when it comes to behavior um, I change, I used um, voice messages instead of, I don't know, text or something else, because I don't have evidence about it, but I believe that um, teenagers are more carefully listened to something Rather than just reading a text, um, they get. And the, the 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 fun part about this whole game is that uh, all these voice messages are recorded with voice actors, and they are speaking like a real story, like you can imagine. Like I don't know, it's very very cool. And I, I'm I, I'm if we can achieve some some scientific evidence that the teenagers changing their behavior, this is definitely the the, the best project that I, I created in the past.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. I mean, it also feels great as a designer, right? If we see that sure. like we're really creating positive change for people. Talking maybe um, for the end a little bit about design entrepreneurship, founding a design studio, founding a design agency. You've been in this for a few years now. What would be your advice towards people who are interested also to start their own agency? What kind of um, things you have been learning that people should look after? Sure, sure. I, I
0: would love to, to talk about this for, for a couple of seconds. So like I said at the beginning, I am coming from a UX design freelancer background, what I made for a couple a couple of years. And I would say this is the perfect um, foundation to start an agency or become a design entrepreneur in the future because... Uh, you are learning the the basic business skills uh, about taxes, about running a business, uh, about marketing yourself um, as a freelancer very quickly, and you can make you can't make a lot of mistakes, right? Because if you make a mistake, it only affects yourself, and you can go back from freelancing if you have the um, the expert knowledge, uh, getting back into an agency or whatever, but pretty quickly. So the risk gets very low, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So first of all, as a freelancer, you can learn all the business skills. This is very important. And what is important as well, from my perspective, you have to be confident as a designer and with your expert knowledge and um, build it up while you are studying, building up while you are freelancing in, in agencies at the beginning. And, but today I don't. I mean, I learn constantly for sure, but I'm not caring about my expert knowledge that much anymore. I'm focusing more on the business. And that's a good thing. If you are want to build up an agency and because you have to accept the fact that if you are building an agency, you will not be the designer anymore because there will be better designers, hopefully in your agency than yourself. And you have to learn other skills. You have to learn, um, how to make a very good human resource, finding these persons and how to benefit them very quickly, how to develop them very quickly, how to set up the whole agency infrastructure. I absolutely underestimated how complicated it is to set up the whole infrastructure for, we are currently at Hello Design, 10 people. And it's, it's complicated how they're Uh, Share their information, how they communicate, how they make their appointments, how they put their files into folders, how they get their German tags things right. right? There are so many things you have to care about. And coming back, how how to get started at the beginning, I think start as a freelancer, you can build a foundation. And then if you are getting too many clients, what is not often a problem as a freelancer, but sometimes you can hire the first person half-time. so just for half of the week. And if you're getting more clients, then you can hire the person full time. And maybe you can slowly and slowly, and as soon as you are three people, something you're working off very often with, then you you sh- really should consider to starting your own your own company and becoming more like a, like a management person. Um and, and especially at the beginning, you will be 50% management, 50% freelancer, um, um, um designer. And 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 you can slowly grow, grow from there. And what really gave me confidence as well is that try out different business models and don't only do the time and material thing. You get paid for your time. Maybe you can come up with an idea how to sell, I don't know, design sprints or something else. So make it a little bit more reliable than uh, the classic agency model. This is a tip as well. And I think that the last thing is even to market yourself and to build your confidence, find a little bit of a niche that helps you to separate you from other agencies. Because the, let's face it, there are a million agencies out there. There are a million consultancies out there trying to sell you things or, and try to be different. And if you have something, in my case, it's, it's combining science with design and, and combining it with behavioral design, that, that's my expert thing or my niche thing it, it makes you more confident when you are talking to clients building your websites and making your marketing
1: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely agreeing it's interesting what you mentioned also that you should maybe start out as a freelancer uh, and yeah. before maybe founding the um, like an actual company already yeah you have been also something mentioned so interesting which is a common misconception about like uh, all kind of design leadership roles, even if it's a being owner of an agency or a design director, that actually that doesn't mean like that design director is the best designer. Maybe the, he was the best designer, <laughs> yeah. but he not can't keep being the best designer and doing a design director position. Depends always, uh, you know, even on the director position, what level. Yeah. Uh, but certainly at some point of the uh, sort of like design you there are different questions you have to answer. And then it's a lot about n- knowing how design works. Uh, maybe, but you're gonna get you're gonna get a little bit more rusty on the tools. That's I think a little bit more unavoidable, right? And there are other things like communication. Like, how do you sell design? I know a lot of great designers who are not good at selling design. I know a lot I know a lot of designers who are great at selling, and maybe slightly less good on design. I have to say, the people that are really good at selling a story and making a good communication, they can have a lot of impact as well, and sometimes even more than the people that create a good design, but they don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. Just one question on, on that. You're working with different clients, right? Yeah. How do you ensure that your innovation uh, comes through uh, working from the external side? Because you're working with partners, right? You, you're kind of developing innovations. As a last question, what are, any, what are your learnings on making ensure your innovation as you're creating as a designer actually comes through in the ex- on the actual client side?
0: That, that's, a, that's a hard one. Um, even the question and the, the, the process of bringing the innovation from my head to the real world uh, on, in, in, inside the client universe. So I think at the end of the day, it, it comes to a very good collaborative process. And as soon as you imagine yourself as the agency, you have to deliver something and then you are out, you will never see your products in the real world. But as soon as you understand yourself as part of the team of your clients, the chances go up that they are way more committed to what you are creating together and really, really launch it. And still today, even if if you're taking the Nebulous, the game example, I, am, I feel myself part of the team. I communicate that I am part of the Nebulous team, even if I got hired by them as Hello Design. I am part of the Nebulous team and mm-hmm. I, I feel myself always as part of the team as the kind, because otherwise I am not committed to the idea. They are not mm-hmm. committed to the idea. Mm-hmm. And this really brings innovation to life. And I think that's, um, it's, it's interesting that you are talking about this, this question right here, because I think this is the general problem of consultancies and agencies, because mm-hmm. there will be a, a, a tipping point inside the design or innovation process where you will be out. Because mm-hmm. you are just there for a particular time. And you have to understand what is the the perfect timing to get out of the process and let them run with their ideas, what you created with them together. I think these these, yeah, these points are the, the most important ones.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, there would be plenty of more topics to go you know, into. Uh, like, I just think like we're just scratching the surface. Uh, like, uh, there's so much more we can kind of get into. Uh, also, when it comes to your experience of building an agency, that I think would be interesting for the audience. But I think we have to wrap it up because of time. Sure. Uh, but, Bobby, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing all of your insights here with the audience. I think we we definitely learned a lot. Sebastian, thank you so much that I am
0: able to be part of the Design Drives podcast, sharing the stage with so many amazing people. And uh, thank you so much for building yeah, Design Drives.
1: Thank you. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a thumbs up. And let me know in the comments about taking me in a pause. What were the biggest learnings for you in the episode? I'm always super curious about that. If the episode provided you a lot of value, Make sure to follow and subscribe and share it with friends or others so they also have the chance to learn and grow themselves. All right, until next time. Cheers.